big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin, we want to thank our newest patrons, Michael and Alex. Welcome to the team. And a very special shout out to our patron, Katie, who upgraded their pledge. If you want to be like these awesome people and get access to our notes, outtakes, bonus episodes, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. And don't forget that we also have a merch store, and the link for that is in the episode description. We've got mugs, t-shirts, masks, pretty much anything you could put our logo on, and we're working on some new designs. So be sure to check out the link in the episode description. By the way, just a little addendum to next week's assignment. So at the end of this episode, Becca assigns me the next three chapters, 29 through 31. That's a lie. Actually, the next chapters that we're going to be covering are just 29 and 30. They are juicy. There's plenty to cover. So that's what we're going to be doing. Don't listen to us at the end of the episode. I mean, listen to us, but you know, you know what I mean. And now enjoy today's episode covering chapters 26 through 28 of Sense and Sensibility. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Sense and Sensibility chapters 26 through 28 or volume 2 chapters four through six. You've got it. You got it. Got it. (laughs) Listeners, Becca and I had recorded a bunch of backlog episodes and now we're recording like the next episode to release. So we have not recorded together in like two months. This is going to be wacky. It's going to be a little loose. Like you have to understand you guys didn't go on hiatus, but we did. Yeah. And so like, I feel like I'm coming back from summer vacation right now. Yeah, it's super weird. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's tell our listeners a little bit about us. I, Becca, have read Minnie and Jane Austen. And I, Molly, have read only Pride and Prejudice. And I did that in season one of this podcast. So if you want to hear that, you can check that out. But right now we are talking about Sense and Sensibility. We are getting into the meat and potatoes of this book the drama I just (laughs) I feel like the men (laughs) the men question mark just that's all I have to say really is the men oh my god yes wait the men the men I just because the men you know and I feel like we talked about this before but in Pride and Prejudice it was really about the romantic relationships that Lizzie and Jane had and mostly Lizzie but this one is it's about Eleanor and Marianne because the men are just questionable (laughs) all around yes part of the reason that Pride and Prejudice is a more romantic book in a lot of ways than Sense and Sensibility is Mr. Darcy has a little bit of an easier time that being said at this point in the book you did hate Mr. Darcy a lot that's true 
That's true. So there's a lot of book left. You're right. But you are correct in saying the fuckery is next level. (laughs) The fuckery is truly next level. These men, I feel like there's two alternative titles to these chapters. One is these men. Men? 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 Actually, the title would specifically be men. And then the other one, which is a bit more descriptive, I feel like it's the subtitle. Mm-hmm. The ghosting of Marianne Dashwood. I think it's the ghosting of Marianne Dashwood colon men question mark. Or is it men, the ghosting of Marianne Dashwood? Men colon. No, men question mark semicolon. <laughs> I'm picturing it like a, like a, like a playbill. Yeah. Like what's it? Samuel. Oh my God. What's the name of that? Samuel French. Yeah. And it just says men, men. in big Letters with a question, question mark, mark, and then underneath that, in the smaller letters, of Marianne Dashwood. the ghosting of Marianne Dashwood. That's the name of the play that I'm going to write based on this. Actually, while I was reading this this time, I did think of a play title. Hold, please. Okay. Um, did I write it down in the notes though? When we find my play title, I will let you know. And if we don't find my play title, then it's going to be Men, the Ghosting of Marianne Dashwood. I mean, that's a fantastic play title. It'll have to be somewhat based on Sense and Sensibility, but... Yes, it will. I want to hear about this play later, but for now, we're going to hear about this medium to tell this story. The original. Yes, exactly. Um, And oh boy. And oh boy, let's dive into it. With chapter 26, we are going to London. So... Eleanor is in the carriage and she's kind of having this moment of like, how did I get here? I didn't want to be here. What am I doing? But she's watching Marianne and Marianne's so excited for the possibility of seeing Willoughby and she's living vicariously through her and being like, oh, that I had that much hope for my love situation. Oh, how the turntables in these (laughs) chapters. What is that? What is that phrase? Well, 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 how the turntables. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, suddenly Eleanor is moping. Moping. But the the way that it's like first flipped that way, now Eleanor is moody. And then by the end, she's like, maybe my situation's not so bad. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, it's a, it's a rough couple chapters. It's a tough couple chapters for Marianne Dashwood. Tough, tough look for Marianne. So Eleanor is sure that like on this trip, Willoughby's true intentions will be revealed. Uh, she says to herself, if she finds that he isn't fully in it with Marianne, she will convince Marianne to see that. And if she finds that he is fully in it, then she will endeavor to not compare herself to Marianne and to just be happy for her sister. Mm-hmm. What a good sister she is. Yeah, she's trying her best. She's trying her best. So they travel for three days, and the whole time Marianne just ignores Mrs. Jennings. So Eleanor has to be extra nice to make up for Marianne's behavior, which is classic. They get to the house, and they're put up in Charlotte's room. Charlotte is Mrs. Palmer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the room, there's some artwork by Charlotte, who's apparently very talented. And I just wanted to like note that. I feel like everyone thinks that Mrs. Palmer is super silly and stuff, but she's like, got this beautiful artwork that she made in university or whatever well remember that these women have not much to do in their days except prepare themselves to be like properly ladylike for men mm-hmm. so they have to develop accomplishments Narianne's number one accomplishment is very clearly like she's an amazing musician 
Mrs. Palmer is actually pretty good at art. So she's kind of like, Mrs. Palmer is a catch. She's wealthy. She's young. She's cute. She's accomplished. But she's just impossible for Mr. Palmer, who is also impossible. So it's a bit of a tragedy there. Yeah, I just, they are not well matched. That's for sure. (laughs) So Eleanor sits down to write home and Marianne sits down too. And Eleanor is like, I'm... I'm writing to mom, so you don't have to yet. And Marianne's like, I'm not writing to mom. And Eleanor's like, oh, I guess she's probably writing to Willoughby. Um, she notices that there's a W in the address, and it's going by Two Penny Post, which I'm assuming is like the local mail. Mm-hmm. So she's like, that must be going to Willoughby. Therefore, <laughs> they must be engaged, which yet again, I don't understand the connection that everyone's making between them, like, like basically they're texting so they're assuming they're dating yeah basically like it's like marion is taking her phone and she like gets a text or like she's like looking at her text from willoughby or looking at his instagram and texting him in the corner being like excuse me and like leaving the table to call him and stuff mm-hmm. Ugh, fine the decorum of the day it's actually pretty significant because remember how lydia was treated when she was seen putting herself to out there quote mm-hmm. unquote Mm-hmm. And the pity that Jane was met with when she was seen as having been scorned by Bingley. Mm-hmm. Both were pretty disastrous for women in this time period. And Marianne has both of those things going on in these chapters. Yeah. Oh, honey. Yeah. Uh. Molly's eyes just like bugged. <laughs> I was already stressed, but I didn't even think about, I mean... In classic me fashion, I didn't really think about uh, the societal implications. The economics of dating in Jane Austen, Graham the Sting. Now, this one's more the, um, it's the economics of dating in Jane Austen a little, but it's really like the patriarchal society of the Jane Austen characters. Graham, do we have a sting for that? Make it really ugly. We hate it. We hate it. (laughs) But Eleanor can't possibly fathom that Marianne is being stupid enough to put herself this out there with a man if he hasn't, like, professed his love to her. Mm. Similar to, like, more traditional moms being like, don't sleep with a guy on the first date because then he'll lose interest in you. Which we think that Marianne maybe already did that. Yeah, and it's implied. Which, scandal. A scandal. A scandal. <gasps> a scandal. I've missed my gram sting. <laughs> So the rest of the day, Marianne seems really anxious, um, like waiting for a letter or whatever. And Eleanor is glad that Mrs. Jennings is mostly in her own room so she can't witness it and be classic Mrs. Jennings, like making a big scene out of it. There's a loud knock on the front door and Marianne gets (laughs) so excited. She is so certain that it's Willoughby. She is just ready to throw herself into his arms when enter Colonel Brandon. (laughs) Oh, God, poor Brandon. I want us to picture this for a minute. So Marianne hears a knock at the front door and she jumps up and she goes to the door of the room that they're in, thinking that Willoughby's about to enter. She's like salivating. The door opens. It's Colonel Brandon. And she just bursts into tears and runs out of the room. And Colonel Brandon is just left standing there being like, is your sister sick? Yeah, you've basically surmised it. It's it's so funny, but it's also so terrible. Poor Brandon. Who has to 
just he's just smitten with this girl who literally looks like she's gonna vomit whenever she sees him. And it's not even his fault. It's just that he's not this other guy who's ignoring her. <sighs> Man. Yeah. Oh, my poor heart. Colonel Brandon really resonates with me a lot. He's he's a good egg. I mean, if the theme of the book so far has been men, then Colonel Brandon is the exception that proves the rule. Yes, Colonel Brandon is men, period. Men. Men. Like good men. Good men with good masculinity. Yeah, positive masculinity in Colonel Brandon. Who... We love positive masculinity. Like, let's just take a minute to remember that Colonel Brandon has a daughter and maybe a sick sister and dead brother. Like, he's got a lot going on right now. So he's, poor thing. Eleanor is disappointed for Marianne that it's not Willoughby, but she feels really bad for Colonel Brandon. <laughs> Eleanor is all of us in this moment. Like, yeah. she's like, we oh, feel no. stressed on behalf of Marianne, but also like, oh, Brandon, no. Her best friend, her boy. Yeah, they're besties. Now you see it, right? I still ship it, but I see it. Yes. 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 So they awkwardly make small talk. Neither one of them is like, actually saying what's on their mind because clearly Colonel Brandon's upset and clearly Eleanor's awkward and they both want to talk about Willoughby, but no one's going to say it. Finally, she asks if he's been in London this whole time and he says he has and Eleanor then remembers the circumstances of his leaving Barton. I had also forgotten about the circumstances, which is why I decided to remind us all that he's got a lot going on. Yes, I was going to say, if you remember, listeners, Brandon left Barton Basically, last minute, they were about to go to the lakes and uh, he was the key to the house that they were going to go to. And he had to go in some sort of emergency that he wouldn't tell anybody about. And Mrs. Jennings had a lot of theories as to what that emergency was. Whomst? Whomst? Which, by the way, people have asked for that on a t-shirt and I am working on it. I really want that on a t-shirt. Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> or just like a pair of like juicy like sweatpants. Like, oh my God, with gonna... whomst on the butt? Oh my God. If only Tea Public had sweatpants on the menu. Tea Public? Um, this is just a public call. If we get enough of our listeners to request this. No, please don't actually. This is an abomination that I'm putting out into the world. So when Eleanor remembers that the circumstances of his leaving were kind of strained. She fears that maybe he's going to think she was prying or like trying to, you know, find out why he left when she asked that. But Mrs. Jennings comes in at this point and she is thrilled to see Brandon. She says she's so sorry she didn't call on him sooner. She's just been super busy with her estate. And I just want to say that like, what a badass woman running her estate. She's the second woman we have seen running an estate in Austin novels. It was her and Catherine DeBerg. Yeah. Oh, boy. Wow. TBT. Dave and Judy Dench. Indeed. Indeed. Um, <laughs> it's been a while since we've been able to do that. I know that. Actually, like, <laughs> my voice. But Mrs. Jennings is a much more positive person than Lady Catherine DeBerg. Um, and she just, yeah, she owns her own estate. She's got two married daughters. She's just living luxuriously and like getting in everybody's business. Yeah. What a queen. So she asks how he knew that she was going to be in town. And he says he was dining with the Palmers and they told him and they said they were going to come by tomorrow or that they'd be hearing from them tomorrow. 
And then she goes on about how she brought Eleanor and Marianne with her. I kind of wanted to read this part. Oh, do it. Okay. So, so it's like, this was maybe one of my funniest quotes. Well, Colonel, I have brought two young ladies with me, you see. That is, you see but one of them now, but there is another somewhere. Your friend, Miss Marianne, too, which you will not be sorry to hear. I do not know what you and Mr. Willoughby will do between you about her. Aye, it is a fine thing to be young and handsome. Well, I was young once, but I was never very handsome. Worse luck for me. However, I got a very good husband, and I don't know what the greatest beauty can do more. Ah, poor man, he has been dead these eight years and better. But, Colonel, where have you been to since... We parted. Mrs. Jennings is such a queen. This is a hot take, but she's amazing. No, I love her so much. And the fact that she started this out by being like, by the way, the girl you like is somewhere around here. I don't know what you and her boyfriend are going to do about that. Oh, God. She's just like, she's hit peak in the Regency era for what a woman can be. She's wealthy. Everyone's married off. She's got her own estate. She's chilling. No one's telling her what to do. She can say whatever she wants, not not given two shits. The energy that I got from this bit was like 50% Molly Weasley and 50% Arthur Weasley. Do you know the vibe that I like? She's a little bit more over the top than either of them. But in terms of like combining the like maternal bubby energy of Molly with the quirkiness of Arthur. Yeah, like the lack of filter and just like general eccentricities yeah I, I get that I get that so Marianne re-enters and Colonel Brandon gets all quiet and then leaves which is sad the next morning though Marianne is in a good mood again which is great Mrs. Palmer arrives she is thrilled to see them but she is angry with them that they didn't accept her invitation which I had forgotten about she had literally just invited them to London and they were like no way and then her mom invited them and they were like okay well they, she didn't invite them to London per se she invited them to her, her estate oh okay all right all right either way rude still still it's like Oh, you have time to go to my mother's Manhattan apartment, but you don't have time to visit me in the Hamptons? Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, exactly. And I would much rather go to the Hamptons. Damn. Everyone would prefer to go to the Hamptons. But London and the countryside are different than Manhattan and the Hamptons. Neither. Well, actually, you know what? I take this back. I was going to say neither one smells like garbage in Regency area England, but I bet both of them smell like garbage. All the time. Yeah, they didn't have proper sewage. Yeah. Exactly. So <laughs> never mind. Never mind. I, I take it back. And I, I bet you can't escape it in London either. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I take it all back. <laughs> love modern plumbing. We love modern plumbing. We stan modern plumbing. Okay. <laughs> we stan it. Stan modern plumbing forever. <laughs> yes. Yes, queen. Go down that pipe. <laughs> Oh my goodness. All right. So this part was really funny. Mrs. Palmer goes, oh, Mr. Palmer would be so happy to see you. What do you think he said when he heard of your coming? Uh, I forget what it was now, but it was something so droll. Like she just always says that he's the funniest person. on. Honestly, like, does she really love him? Because if she genuinely believes that he's the funniest, then good for them. I know that I said she was going to crack any minute now, though, and I, I kind of want to continue on with that vibe, but I feel so like... So I, I, won't, I won't answer you. Okay, great. All right, okay. Then they spend a few hours of what Mrs. Jennings would call, quote, comfortable chat, which is basically Mrs. Jennings asking lots of gossipy questions and Mrs. Palmer just laughing at everything. 
And then they all decide to go shopping. And the whole time that they're out, Marianne is like looking around, searching for Willoughby in the crowds. She's anxious to get home in case Willoughby stops by. Uh, They get home and he has not stopped by. (laughs) And she's like, that's weird. And Eleanor is like, yes, it is weird. Because if she hadn't known for certain that he was in London, she wouldn't have written to him by the local post, which is what we saw her do. And she would have written to Combe instead. If he is in town, then it would make sense for him to write back. So what's happening here? Eleanor's got her gears turning. She's like, what's going on? Have you ever had a friend get like late term ghosted? Yeah. It's brutal. Like, so I have a thing with ghosting. I think social etiquette dictates that you can ghost after the first date. Because there's a lot of mutual ghostings that happen after first dates. Unless you slept with the person, in which case that's kind of rude. But second date onwards, I believe leaving someone just completely in silence is rude and not okay. If you get to like date three or date four and you've been seeing this person for, for weeks, that is getting towards cruel. But I have seen people get like, quote, ghosted in like, two months in and like dating. It's a horrible thing to go through. Yeah, that's terrible. I want to say that's never happened, but it happens to people. And it's just like, listeners, don't do that. And don't let yourself be treated that way. Hell yeah. It is not okay. If you're getting intimate with a person and this person is going out to dinner with you, going into public with you, kissing you, telling you things about themselves. And then one day they just go, like radio silent you do not deserve that you deserve better and you gotta just dump them you just gotta send them a text message saying this was really rude how you just blew me off completely i'm moving on thank you don't do it after 24 hours though because it's just possible the person is not checking their phone much (laughs) that's not ghosting (laughs) that's being a bad texter what do we think constitutes ghosting like several days a week with no contact um i would say it depends on whether or not you reached out yeah oh I, it doesn't count as ghosting if you haven't texted them either because <laughs> you mutually ghosted each other if you if you have been like hanging out for a while and neither one of you texts for a while that's a problem but if the person says they'll text and they don't text and you reach out like three or four days later and you're like hey i haven't heard from you and then they don't text back within 48 hours, that person should be dead to you. Yeah. So Marianne, I think, should, and we're going to get there, but I think that she should send him a text saying, that was really rude of you. I'm moving on to Colonel Brandon, question mark. Um, but we'll we'll get there. So Eleanor thinks to herself that this is her mother's fault for allowing them to get engaged, which again, like, I don't know why everyone thinks that they are engaged. The rest of the day, Eleanor is just playing whist with Mrs. Jennings and her elderly friends, and Marianne just (laughs) paces back and forth, and, like, she'll, like, pick up a book, try to read, throw the book aside dramatically, and just, like, continue pacing back and forth, and it is entirely on brand for her, and that is the end of that chapter. Chapter 27. The next morning at breakfast, Mrs. Jennings comments that if the weather stays nice like this then Sir John will not likely leave Barton this week because he doesn't want to lose a day of sport. They're talking about hunting, correct? Yes. Okay, great. This 
brightens Marianne's mood because she thinks maybe that's why Willoughby isn't answering. Maybe he's enjoying the sport in the countryside and the nice weather. Honey. I mean, he probably just has been really busy with work. Like, he hasn't gone back to me. No, dump his ass. Dump his ass. Have you seen those TikToks by that guy? I love him so much. Dump their ass. I sent one to Mike where he was like, does he tell you you're juicy every day? If he doesn't, then dump his ass. And I was like, tell me I'm juicy. <laughs> Becca, hey, you're juicy. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. He he also told me I was juicy too. So don't worry. <laughs> He's still around. I haven't <laughs> broken up with my boyfriend without telling you. Mike is a good egg. No need to dump his ass. <laughs> Hey, guy on TikTok whose name I don't know, but who constantly tells me to dump his ass. If you want to come on this podcast, we would love to have you. So she starts. <laughs> this whole section honestly cracked me up because Marianne just won't shut up about the weather for the rest of the chapter. Um, she thinks maybe tonight it's going to start getting colder, though. <laughs> and Eleanor doesn't want Mrs. Jennings to know why Marianne is suddenly so concerned with the weather. So she's like, <laughs> well, at any rate, I'm so Sure, Sir John and Lady Middleton will be in town by the end of next week. And Mrs. Jennings agrees, saying that Mary always gets her way. Mary being... Not Betty. Not Betty. (laughs) But also the fact that her name is Mary, and I know that Jane Austen tends to name her, quote, boring characters Mary, and by tends to, I mean she named one Mary, and uh, that makes me get a a good idea of... Without giving too much away, there is an interesting Mary coming in later books. Oh, anyway, Eleanor thinks that Marianne will now write to Combe because she thinks that he's in the country, but she doesn't see a letter leave the house. Then it says, uh, quote, Marianne was in spirits, happy in the mildness of the weather and still happier in her expectation of a frost. Mrs. Jennings spends the morning leaving cards at her friend's houses, letting them know that she's in town. And Marianne spends the whole time commenting on the weather. In this next section, I wasn't entirely sure what it was trying to say. Basically, it's it's just saying that Mrs. Jennings is very kind to them and the accommodations are very comfortable, but they also like don't leave the house super often, or at least Mrs. Jennings doesn't leave the house super often. So they're hanging out with her a lot and they're bored. I think they're bored. They're bored. Yeah, they're bored. They're not like hanging out in society much. Got it. They're not going to a lot of places for dinner. Got it. Okay. That's what I was like kind of getting, but I had to read it honestly like six times. This was a wordy section. So Colonel Brandon comes by every day to, quote, look at Marianne and talk to Eleanor. The pain of being so into someone and not being able to talk to them, like being so into them that you can't talk to them. I have experienced that. Yes. Thank you. And just like talking to the person next to them the whole time. Yes. Colonel Brandon is in his 30s. Yes. Is that what's in store for us? Yes. For me, at least, I relate to Colonel Brandon so much. I I feel like the amount that I related to Darcy in Pride and Prejudice, which has listeners, dear listeners, been more so lately than not. I feel like I also relate to Colonel Brandon a lot. You're such a fucking Darcy. I'm such a Darcy. You are also a Marianne in some moments. Oh, sure. And, And I later on in this chapter, I will comment on that as well. Eleanor loves talking with Colonel Brandon, frowny face, but she sees that his feelings for Marianne are only increasing. They've been there a week when a cart arrives from Willoughby while they are out, and Marianne is stressed that she missed him. 
From that moment on, her mind was never quiet. The expectation of seeing him every hour of the day made her unfit for anything. He liked a pic on my Instagram. Listen, the amount that I relate. The lies you tell yourself about why you're putting on makeup that day. Listen, I don't even tell myself lies. <laughs> this is why you're a Marianne and I'm an Eleanor. When I have a crush, which, you know, as of current is mostly on my boyfriend and I don't hide. But when I have a crush, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? Like, I feel like. It's a day to feel good about me. And then I'll like, you know, do my hair, put on perfume. And I'm like, bitch, you know you're seeing him today. Yep. Like, what are you doing? Yep. And I would be like, oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I got a phone. <laughs> like stressing out. <laughs> anyway, back to Jane Austen. Marianne stays home while everyone else goes out just in case that he comes by again. But when Eleanor returns, she sees that, in fact, Willoughby has not come by. Uh, a letter arrives later that day and Marianne's like, oh my God, is it for me? And the servant's like, it's for Mrs. Jennings. And Marianne's like, I don't believe you. And picks up the letter and she's like, damn it, it's actually for Mrs. Jennings. That's annoying. And <laughs> Eleanor asks if Marianne is expecting a letter. And Marianne's like, no, not really. And Eleanor is like, but you don't trust me? And Marianne is like, you can't say that. You don't trust anyone. And Eleanor is like, I got nothing to tell. That's a fucking lie, Eleanor Dashwood. And that is the title of the play that I'm going to write about sense and sensibility. Eleanor Dashwood, you're a fucking liar. Go Lindman. <laughs> or like, you're a liar, Eleanor Dashwood. It's like something like that. Eleanor Dashwood is a goddamn liar. Yeah. that it's It's got to like roll off the tongue like that. Eleanor Dashwood is a goddamn liar. I love that. It's got to get the rhythm of like John Tucker must die. Exactly. Or the ones that I'm thinking of is like act your age, Eve Brown or whatever it is. Act your age. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Like, I got you. You're a liar, Eleanor Dashwood, but that doesn't sound good. So Eleanor Dashwood is a goddamn liar. Sounds really nice. All right. Yes, yeah. it is. But she is a goddamn liar. She's a goddamn liar. What do you mean you have nothing to tell? She's like, let me it, let me like hide everything away. And then I'm just going to keep all of my emotions just like in this little bucket. And I'm going to carry around with me everywhere. And I'm going to be like, I'm not holding a bucket. It's like that John Mulaney quote. Oh, it's I'm just going to keep my feelings right here. And then one day I'll die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Eleanor and then Marianne is like, nor I. Our situations are then alike. We have neither of us anything to tell because you communicate and I conceal nothing. She's being sarcastic, right? Like she's saying you, quote, communicate. I think she is saying that she doesn't have anything to hide and that Eleanor is hiding that stuff from her, but like won't ever tell her. She's still denying that she has a secret. But why does she say you because you communicate? Like you have you have nothing to tell because you communicate. The energy that I got is like, quote, constantly talking isn't necessarily communicating from internal sunshine of the spotless mind. She's saying like, yeah, you don't have anything to tell because you only like you communicate, but you don't actually talk about your problems or like something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. But basically, yes. And Eleanor is like, yeah, I can't defend myself. I'm a fucking liar. <laughs> and she doesn't say that out loud. She just internalizes it some more yeah hello it's molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts hot and bothered hosted by returning pot and prejudice guest vanessa zoltan is a podcast that treats romance as sacred you've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season they covered pride and prejudice and now hot and bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films the first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. 
After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. Then Mrs. Jennings comes in and reads her letter, and it's from Lady Middleton, saying they've arrived in town and inviting them for the following evening, saying that they couldn't come themselves because Lady Middleton is violently ill. I feel like that's code for Lady Middleton didn't feel like it. Oh, okay, 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 because this whole time I was sitting here thinking, like, how are they having people over if she's that sick? I feel like she's faking it. I mean, that's a fan theory, but (laughs) I feel like that's the implication. I can't. (laughs) I'm sick. Boo, you whore. So many Mean Girls references in Sense and Sensibility. Listen, this is what I'm saying, is that... This is based on Mean Girls. Or is Mean Girls based on this? What year did this skip? No, I stand by what I said. I said what I fucking said. God, this is already off the rails. We're only halfway through this entire episode. Ah, We're doing so great. So Eleanor has a hard time convincing Marianne to come the next day, but they do all go. And Eleanor finds that, uh, quote, disposition is not materially altered by change of abode, or in other words, new house, same Sir John. Uh, He has already collected 20 young people. and wants to throw them a ball. And Lady Middleton disapproves of this because in London, the standards for a ball are much higher. It needs more planning. You can't just throw one spur of the moment. Marianne takes one look around the party and sees Willoughby is not there, so she goes to sulk in a corner, obviously. Mr. Palmer comes over and because the Palmers are there also, and he's like, I'm surprised to see you there. This was my funniest quote which I'll, I'll read again later, but uh, he's surprised to see them there, quote, though Colonel Brandon had been first informed of their arrival at his house, and he had himself said something very droll on hearing that they were to come. The commentary, it's so good. Ah, I love our third-person narrator. Something very droll on hearing that they were to come. So Marianne is reluctant to dance all night, and then she complains that she's exhausted when they head home. And Mrs. Jennings is like, well, if Willoughby had been here, you wouldn't be so tired. And then she says, then Mrs. Jennings says, it was rude of him not to come since he was invited. And he should come to see her. And Marianne's like, he was invited to this party? And he didn't come? And Eleanor is like, I'm going to write to our mom at once. So now, actually, we're seeing that little hint of panic from Eleanor regarding her sister's reputation. Oh, because everyone knows that he was invited and didn't come and that they're a thing. 
right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also like, that is a sign something is very wrong. Like, there's no question. There's no question he knows she'll be there and he didn't show up. And Marianne was supposedly engaged to this guy. And something has gone very, very wrong. Something, as they say, is afoot. Pekka just took her foot and put it in the screen. Something is afoot. Something is afoot. Have I done that before? I think you have, actually. It's just been a while. Oh, God. (laughs) The next morning, she sees Marianne writing again to Willoughby. So when Mrs. Jennings goes out, she immediately goes to write to her mother while Marianne paces and stares at the fire and does her brooding thing. Mm -hmm. Eleanor tells her mom exactly what she thinks of Willoughby, and she demands that her mom ask Marianne right out what the situation between her and Willoughby is. Like, are they engaged or not? Then Colonel Brandon arrives and Marianne sees him coming and leaves before he even comes in. And he says he's glad to find Eleanor by herself as if he has something to tell her. But then he just sits there in silence for a really long time. And it's very like when Mr. Darcy comes in to propose and he just like stands there for a really long time. Yes. Yes. We have a very nervous man here. Which makes me think like, what's he going to ask her? But then what does he ask her? Well, he asks when he is to congratulate her on the acquisition of a brother. And Eleanor's like, what? And he's like, well, everyone knows that Marianne and Willoughby are engaged. And Eleanor is like, that's not possible because not even her family knows that they're engaged. And he's like, well, uh, what? Everyone's been talking about it. And she's like, who's talking about it? And he's like, a lot of random people that you don't know, but also Mrs. Jennings, Mrs. Palmer, the Middletons, etc. And he had come here today to ask if that was true. But then he saw the servant leaving with a letter addressed to Willoughby that morning. So he already knows that it's true. And then he has a bit of a disaster boy moment. And this is what I wanted to I wanted to read out his disaster boy moment because he says, I came to inquire, but I was convinced before I could ask the question, is everything finally settled? Is it impossible to? But I have no right and I could have no chance of succeeding. Excuse me, Miss Dashwood. I believe I have been wrong in saying so much, but I hardly know what to do. And on your prudence, I have the strongest dependence. Tell me that all is absolutely resolved on that any attempt that in short concealment, if concealment be possible, is all that remains. Basically, he's just like, is there still a chance? No, never mind. I can't. There's no chance for me. But tell me if there is. But tell me if there isn't. Ah! And um, she struggles for a minute with what to say because she doesn't know a whole lot about what's going on with them, but she is certain that there's no chance for him. So she doesn't want to like give him false hope. And eventually she tells him that she knows they both have feelings for each other and that much she is certain. And then he says, and this is, I want to read this part out loud. Yeah, you should read this. This is one of the most famous lines from it. Did I pick out a famous line? You picked out a famous line. He says, To your sister, I wish all imaginable happiness. To Willoughby, that he may endeavor to deserve her. (sighs) What a good boy. I'm just going to just have a moment. I'm just going to hold things together and not say things further for now. I feel like Colonel Brandon would be a really good pet name, like for a dog or a cat. (gasps) That's a great dog name for like a great dane oh i was gonna say for like a black schnauzer with like the the beard oh man yeah all right so that's the end of that chapter that quote 
consistently to this day makes me emotional. To Willoughby that he may endeavor to deserve her. Oh. And I mean, I'm not going to say anything. Becca's having a moment. She's tried so hard. It's it's one of those moments where I'm just like having trouble not spoiling things. So I'm just going to like. Just zip it up. Zip it up. Anyway, chapter 28. Chapter 28. So. AKA the mess ball. This is messy. Yes. So everyone's invited to a party and Marianne like sits around moping and not caring about her appearance or anything. She's just like there basically staring at the fire until Lady Middleton comes to pick them up and she's like, where are we going? (laughs) We have to go to a party. Which we've all been there. Yes, we all have been there. Mrs. Jennings is staying home with Charlotte, so it's just the the gals. And I loved this description as we walked into the party because Jane Austen, like, she describes the party from the perspective of someone who does not want to be there. She says, you know, they walk in, it's too hot, everyone's pressed up against each other, they have to hear their names announced, then they have to go add to the pressed up against each otherness and the the too hotness and and it's it's so good they sit down and eleanor spots willoughby at the party is this a record scratch or a dun 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 this is a dun 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 talking to record scratch a fashionable young lady a fashionable young lady he makes eye contact with eleanor and bows but doesn't make any move to greet them and doesn't like make any sign that he's seen Marianne Marianne sees him and she immediately jumps up and Eleanor grabs her arm and is like don't go over there be chill and (laughs) to be chill quote was not only beyond the reach of Marianne it was beyond her wish because we all know Marianne has no chill. She does not want to be chill. Yeah, if there's one defining characteristic of Marianne, it's a lack of chill. Yeah. So finally he sees them both and she calls out his name and holds out her hand to him and he comes over and he does not take her hand and he says hello to Eleanor and he avoids Marianne's eyes. Oh, it's excruciating. What is happening? Oh, it's so painful. And Marianne is like, what the fuck, Willoughby? Like, she she genuinely starts freaking out at him. She's like, Whoa, wait, what's going on? Why aren't you looking at me? Why aren't you shaking my hand? Haven't you gotten my letters? And at this point, he's like, I can't avoid shaking your hand. So he, like, goes to shake her hand. And Eleanor, and all of this, all of this, by the way, is being described through Eleanor's eyes like she is watching his face this whole time and clocking every little shift. And Marianne's touch seems painful to him Yep. in this moment. He says he left her a card. Surely it was not misplaced. And Marianne's like, yeah, but I wrote you like 10 notes. What is the meaning of all of this? And then Eleanor is watching him. He looks really embarrassed by this for a second, but then he catches the eye of the fashionable young lady that fashionable young lady fashionable young lady and quote feels the necessity of instant exertion which i like that she like gives him a nudge or something like she's like be normal or i don't know what it is but like he gets unembarrassed and says yes i had the pleasure of receiving the information of your arrival in town which you were so good as to send me and then he walks away what i mean your reaction is the reaction of both sisters and everyone who saw them in Barton. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's 
it's like a 500 degree shift. It's a complete distinction. Like we talked about how Edward was acting different around Eleanor. Mm -hmm. Willoughby has gone so far in the opposite direction that he is barely recognizable. I just got an idea. (laughs) What? Well, you know how there's Pride and Prejudice and Zombies where everyone's zombies, which we plan to watch slash read, probably watch. We'll do it, listeners. Don't worry. Yeah. Is there a sense and sensibility that's like something's in the water (laughs) that affects the men and makes them become weird? You know, there might be a sense and sensibility and pirates. Let me check it out. (laughs) It's a seaside tale. It's a seaside tale. No, it's not. It's not Sense and Sensibility. Oh, dang. Unfortunately. But man, that's what um, Eleanor Dashwood is a goddamn liar should be about. Yep, there it is. That's what I'll do. Because men? Men? So Marianne looks like she might faint. And Eleanor gives her some lavender water. And then Marianne is begging Eleanor to go get him and make him explain himself. And Eleanor's like, no, we have to wait till tomorrow. Like, at least just calm down before you go follow him. And while Marianne is calming down, she sees Willoughby leave. And then she's like, okay, actually, Marianne, he's gone. So you have to wait till tomorrow to talk to him. And Marianne is like, I want to leave too. I'm too miserable to stay a moment longer. That's also very relatable because you know when you're at a party because you want to see one person and you're just like kind of like watching, like you're like, oh man, like am I going to talk to them? And then they leave and you're like, why am I still here? And then you leave too. Oh, yeah. And it's also like, it's that combined with that that thing. Have you ever been like embarrassed at a party or like gotten your heart broken at a party? You go to your friend who you came with and you're like, I need to leave right now. Like, I need to leave like right now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like the hope of making it right has left, you're like, this is only going downhill from here. Yeah. Have you ever been the friend who witnessed this or been the person who goes up to the friend where like the person just walks over to the other person at the party and the panic and the like the horrors in their eyes and they're like if we don't leave right now I'm gonna have a panic attack in front of all these people yeah yeah and I can't handle that and that person's just like okay let's go get mozzarella sticks and you just run out of the party together specifically at our school where mozzarella sticks were the late night food to go get at our they were absolutely the late night food to go get so They go get Lady Middleton and they're like, we have to leave right now. She is in the middle of a rubber of casino, which, by the way, thank you to all of the listeners who answered our query about what a rubber of casino is. It means like around. Yes. So uh, she's like, "Okay, yeah, let's go. So they go home. Marianne and Eleanor go straight to their rooms. Marianne takes some hartshorn, which is smelling salts. Is that how you pronounce that? Hartshorn? Harthorn? Hartshorn? Hartshorn. Hartshorn. Um... And she goes to bed. Eleanor is like thinking everything over. It's clear to her that some kind of engagement existed between Willoughby and Marianne and that Willoughby is now weary of it, meaning he's gotten over it or something like he's tired of her. I don't uh, uh, men. men. <laughs> Eleanor would be more angry with him. However, like I said, all of these descriptions that we were getting of his face, like she was watching him experience this interaction and she noticed how embarrassed he was by his own conduct. Like he knows that what he's doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so she can't be fully angry with him, just disappointed, I guess. I mean, we can be fully angry with him. Oh, I'm fully angry with him. She thinks that perhaps 
absence weakened his regard for her, but she feels certain that the regard did exist. Call back to season one when we talked about absence making the heart grow fonder. In this case, Mm -hmm. absence makes the heart grow less fond, Mm -hmm. supposedly. But Eleanor's own situation seems better in comparison because at least she's still convinced that Eddie likes her and she can esteem him as much as ever, though I think she esteems him wrongly. I think that he is a bad egg, just as I think Willoughby is a bad egg. She thinks that this is the final fatal blow for Marianne and Willoughby and that Marianne should dump his ass. Dump his ass. And that is the end of those chapters. (laughs) Dump his ass. That brings us to Becca's study questions. This is an intense few chapters. I still get emotional reading these chapters today. Like, they're they're very, ugh, men? I just, my heart goes out to Marianne in these chapters. Same. So, First, how does London change the story? We had a seaside tale. Now we have a London tale. Mm. Well, now we know that it smells like toilet everywhere. We, we don't know that. We make a very educated guess that we it smells like toilets. <laughs> yeah, the uh, everyone's running into each other all the time now, all of a sudden. Like, it's not just the five people that are in the countryside together it's possible for anyone to run into anyone all of a sudden. So that's definitely increasing the stakes. Um, it's increasing the the opportunity for these interactions. Like every time Marianne steps out of the house, she's like, am I going to see him? And you're like, is she going to see him? Right, exactly. That confrontations between the characters are suddenly very present. And we have a lot of questions bubbling under the surface we have a lot of things unsaid characters acting in strange ways and all of it feels very close now where before it was these vague characters with mysterious stuff going on in the big city well the girls were chilling out in the countryside now they're in the thick of it and we're gonna into the thick of it no we're not we're not doing more tiktok on this (laughs) they're they're with the the big players, they're in London society. The other thing is that they're being observed more. There's more of a sense that, like, for example, Marianne's reputation is much more on display here right, right. than it was in the country. I kept forgetting about the fact that, like I said at the beginning of the episode, that this could affect her in the long run and not just in the short term. Yes, it could ruin her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, stress book now. This is a stress book. This is a stress tale. Two, what do you make of Willoughby's behavior? What's your theory? Well, I'm sure it's something more than what I'm thinking. I kind of, I mean, maybe it's because I'm reading this through Marianne or through Eleanor's eyes, but I'm kind of like, he was infatuated with this girl and then he went back to his life and he was like, oh, maybe not. But, but fashionable young lady, maybe he had prior commitments like Eddie (laughs) like Eddie who by the way I was listening to our most recent episode covering the chapters immediately prior to this and I realized that maybe I was missing some hints that you might have been dropping (laughs) um some hints because and and maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm way off base however you asked me is there any reason that Eddie may feel obligated to stay engaged to Lucy. And I said, no, I can't see any reason why Eddie might feel obligated to stay 
engaged to Lucy. And then I was listening to it and I was like, wait a minute, we've been talking a lot about children out of wedlock in this book. Um, what with Colonel Brandon and everything. And I was like, hmm, maybe Eddie and Lucy have maybe Lucy's pregnant. Um, Maybe I'm way off base with that. But when I was listening to the episode, I was like, I can definitely think of a reason why one might feel obligated to stay engaged to someone. Um, But also, I feel like Lucy would have told Eleanor that anyway. That's like way off track. But I just wanted to like put that on the record as something that I was listening because I was like, if that is the case and our listeners are listening to this hint being dropped and me being like, no, I can't see any reason why. Then I wanted to throw it out there that I got I picked up on the hint. Um, Anyway, so I don't know why Willoughby, though, is being this way other than perhaps he had a girlfriend and Marianne was like a fling that he had. That's possible. Maybe he thought that things could be different, but I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt because men, question mark? Men? I will not confirm or deny any of that. Great. Speaking of men, but instead of men, we're talking about men. Uh, What do you make of Colonel Brandon's behavior in these three chapters? Men. Oh, man. Man. Oh, man. That's what it is. Colonel Brandon, so, so in love with our girl, Marianne. For what, though? Uh, I mean, like, real masochism. I mean, like, the sad thing about these chapters is that they really do paint a picture of Brandon as being the kind of burning, desire-ridden person that Marianne searches for, but she can't see it because he's sort of silent. and (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and a little awkward and a little like aloof. Yeah. So I think Jane Austen is giving us a statement here on love and like different kinds of love and different ways of expressing love. Because Colonel Brandon, I mean, basically what he says when he says, for Marianne, I wish all imaginable happiness for Willoughby that he may endeavor to deserve her. He's saying, I wish her the best. If you love her, let her go. Like, that he genuinely actually cares about her and in that is, like, willing to put his own wants and needs second. Um, Which, meanwhile, we have this, like, kind of almost... I wouldn't... I mean, I don't know. Their relationship isn't lust-driven, Marianne and Willoughby. There's just something that's, that's off here. Like, Marianne... It's driven by passion. Passion, yeah. And their mutual passion for similar things, like they have similar interests too. And I feel like it's one-sided right now or, you know, something has gone amiss and Willoughby isn't, he wasn't fully genuine or is no longer fully genuine. I he's Something is wrong here. So we're getting two different expressions of love. Well, I won't say much, but I will say that this chapter definitely does paint both Marianne and Brandon as glutton for punishment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is all I will say on that matter. I'm going to ask one more before the standbys. We're going to keep it short. Austin now has two heroines going through epic heartbreak. How are they processing their heartbreak? How does it differ? How is it similar? Well, Marianne is processing very loudly. Smelling salts, lavender water. Fainting in public and going to sleep early so she can cry all night and wake up being anxious all day. Like, 
Yeah, Marianne's loud and proud and upset. Eleanor is pushing her own thing back, trying really hard not to compare herself to her sister, although failing miserably because every time that she thinks about her sister, she's like, well, here's my situation in comparison, but is definitely putting the needs of her sister first and like trying to be there for her. Maybe, you know, putting her energy elsewhere so she doesn't have to think about her own problems as much, but still thinking about her own problems. But they're both in really bad spots right now. Nothing's going well for anyone. Yeah, no, it's a very sad state of affairs for the Dashwood sisters. They go through a lot. I mean, and no one's doing well right now. I mean, Colonel Brandon, too. Brandon's doing poorly. Everybody's sad. What's going on? (laughs) The drama. There's something in the water. Men? Men? All right, that leads us to the standby. It's funniest quote. So the funniest quote is, <laughs> I'll read this whole little chunk. Mr. Palmer sauntered towards the Miss Dashwood to express his surprise on seeing them in town, though Colonel Brandon had been first informed of their arrival at his house, and he had himself said something very droll on hearing that they were to come. I thought you were both in Devonshire, said he. Did you, replied Eleanor. When do you go back again? I do not know. And thus ended their discourse. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I just love that the third person omniscient whatever narrator uh, is so sassy. I mean, what I think of is Jennifer Ely in uh, the 1995 when she like raises her eyebrows at Charlotte. Yes. After the wave. Yes. That's that's the look I consider every time Austin throws a little like snark in there yes exactly Uh, questions moving forward men question mark men (laughs) that's a good question that's the question i mean that's a question i so want to know what the fuck is going on with edward ferrers and lucy i mean we know what's going on with them but i want to know what's what and i want i'm so curious about this fashionable young lady want to know what's going on with willoughby I want to know why Brandon came home or went to London or whatever. Yeah, I want to know what's going on with all of the men. That's true, actually. We don't know what's going on with any of the men. Yeah, they are all in different states of being confusing to me. So Men? The ghosting of Marianne Dashwood. Yep. All right, who wins the chapters? Oh, God. Colonel Brandon. I mean, he loses, but he... That he may endeavor to deserve her. May he endeavor to deserve her. God, I'm going to use that. Uh, Here, I'm going to read it one more time. To your sister, I wish all imaginable happiness. To Willoughby, that he may endeavor to deserve her. He doesn't fucking deserve her. He never will. (laughs) Pain. All right, listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. So for next episode... Read the next three chapters of Sense and Sensibility. For those of you who know the book, you'll probably be pretty excited. But until next time, stay proper. And find someone who may endeavor to deserve you. (laughs) (sighs) Yes. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. 
To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.